Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on with you, man? I think me and you, we have an interesting topic to talk about now because we've been both going through this together and it's refinancing, right? We're, we're in the middle of refinancing all of our properties. In the last preamble interlude in the previous episode, we're talking about the real estate market going crazy. Oddly enough, that's not necessarily reflected in appraisals recently, right? And I kind of get it as well because it's been, I think it's like, end of January, beginning of February, where we seen these crazy appraisals. So we just finished refining, what is it? Two, no, three, four properties, four properies. Is it a couple four? of our own and, and okay, some okay. with our JV partners. So yeah, we, we yeah. did Pierre, Rankin, and then two with our JV partners. And then we have and, Indian uh, going on right now. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So, and then Langlois we just did in Campbell. So, so yeah, we, we've got a, yeah, we've got a lot of- six. Yeah, yeah. So, so we got a lot of refinances going on, and I think just for like the audience, like our opinion, our our the result of our appraisals has been all over the place, right? So Rankin, we got we got fucked for no reason. Oh, Rankin was so bad. So, if we were to get a refi today by a decent appraisal, <laughs> it would be probably low four hundreds, four ten to four twenty. We got yeah. it appraised at three fifty. And yeah, uh, yeah that, and it's that a was legal, ridiculous. It's a, it's a legal duplex in pretty good condition. Yeah. In like very close to like the, the university, right? So it's kind of crazy. Waterfront as well. And then we had a single family house, which I mean, it's Walkerville, so it's a better area in Windsor, but that appraised at 350, which is just crazy when you compare that to rank. <laughs> a single family home <laughs> appraised higher than our duplex waterfront that is within a five minute walk to the university, right? So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it's falling all over the place. And then we recently got a triplex to praise. We asked we honestly, we ask for something pretty aggressive. Whenever we get appraisals, we try to overshoot, right? And at, sometimes it lands, it lands at the overshooted value. So why not, right? But however, we asked for 600,000. We ended off at what, 560-ish around that yeah. range? Yeah, 560. So it was a full burn. We still got some cash out on top of that. But in, in my opinion, for 560, like I would still buy those three towns today. Right. I'd probably pay like a little bit higher than that because while we call it a triplex, it's it's literally three towns side by side. Right. So it's not really a triplex. It's just one title. So that one was it, it, I, I felt like it was undervalued, but I was also happy to leave a little bit of equity in it. Like I was like, that's fine. It is what it is. We are in kind of an inflated market right now. And now yeah. we're just waiting for one more appraisal, which is a duplex right like two minutes from the university. That should be an interesting appraisal because I've never seen any property in that particular street sell over the last six, seven, eight months. So I'll be I'll be curious to see how to derive the value, right? But where appraisals are going, they're all over the place. We've seen high, we've seen low, we've seen what we what exactly we asked for. And I mean, I think part of it is, is because the banks are telling these appraisal companies low key to kind of tighten things up, right? Because we're yeah. in pretty scary territory where like people are paying much more than what houses were worth the month before, like five, yeah. 6% appreciation in a month. I agree. Now, like some people call it a bubble. Some people just call it the, the impact of the low interest rate environment, whatever it is. I think the reality is there's a huge unknown on what the rest of 2021 and 2022 will look like. Right. So I understand where the banks are coming from in exercising caution. I also think, you know, 
we everyone always talks about government intervention and that there's going to be someone or something that intervenes with the market. The appraisal side intervening is actually a really interesting aspect that I never really considered as a possibility, but mm-hmm. it seems like appraisals is what's going to hold back the market right now. So I think people that are going firm in on the market, like I think you got to be ready to potentially dish out a lot more cash than like you normally would have had to, right? And it's a big risk. Like, sure, we can't increase interest rates right now because there's a lot of like government debt and like other sources of debt and various other impacts. But, you know, why not just hit the appraisals, right? Limit the value of appraisals and like tell people to be super cautious on their appraisals now makes perfect sense to me. That's a direct impact just on the real estate market. Exactly. I, I, I've heard some other country, actually, I don't think like, this is just me reading the news on other countries and what they're doing with policies. I forgot which country it was. I think it was a Scandinavian one. Of course, like the dynamics are completely different. But one thing that they did that's interesting is, is I think they increased down payment for investors to 30 or 40%. Right? I, I don't I doubt that they're going to bring that over to Canada, just because real estate is a huge contributor to our GDP that that would definitely hurt the GDP of, of, of Canada, right? So I'm not sure if they're going to bring it over. It's just interesting to see policies in, in other countries to see what they're doing to slow down real estate in their markets. But anyway, just things to be cognizant of. It, it is interesting to see what other how real estate's acting on a global stage in other countries as well. Yeah, and I'll just add, like, to be honest, even if we are in a bubble and a bubble does pop, like real estate investors, we all have 20% minimum equity in our properties. The biggest risk is going to come from the people that are at 5% down payment, CMHC levered, like over levered, like things like that. That's really where the biggest risk will come from. So just from like a risk perspective, it doesn't make sense to increase it from 20 to 25% or 20 to 30% because you're like, there will still be people buying with 5% down, right? Okay, Mayu, let's just jump into our podcast today. And today we have Shweb Qureshi. Shweb, he's actually a buddy of mine in high school. It's crazy. And we we crossed paths in the real estate world again. He went to university. I went to university. We did our own things. And he saw me invest in real estate. Then he jumped on board as well. So Shweb, he's a relatively new investor. He'd been investing a little less than two years or just around that two-year mark. And he has now acquired nine units in Sudbury and Windsor in just over a year. So he's working as a full-time software developer. So still grinding out there in the full-time world and still being a successful real estate investor. He also has had numerous entrepreneurial ventures, some that went well, some that didn't go as well, but he took learning experience from all of it. So now we're going to dig into our podcast with Shreve. It's going to be an awesome episode. It's someone coming from kind of an, just an average background and, and investing in real estate, building wealth and, and falling in love with it. And now he's well on his way to grow to a double digit portfolio this year. Hope you guys enjoy this episode hey everyone we are joined with our very special guest Shweb. Shweb, how's everything going man i'm good i'm good austin how's how are things with you good 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 so Shweb, myself and austin we know we've known you for quite some time now why don't you, why don't you give yeah. our listeners a quick rundown on on how you got started and your backstory sure sure uh you know i started uh investing in october 2009 after watching all of Austin's uh, Instagram posts, uh, <laughs> I, because <laughs> Austin and I went to high school together, right? So I, I just hit him up. I said, hey, uh, you know, you want to take me to Windsor? And and I just got started like that. I bought a home in a single family home in Walkerville, Windsor, 2019, October. And then like the new year came and everything was like, like crazy. So I, you know, I decided to go to Sudbury where I ended up buying a couple of properties, like a duplex a fourplex and closing on another duplex soon. And what's funny is, is when Shui first told me he was going to Sudbury, I was like, why? 
<laughs> Bro, like, why don't you just stay at Windsor? But then now we're kind of pivoting over. Okay, Shway, before we get into your real estate journey, let's dig back. What were you doing before real estate investing? How did you get into the investing space? And tell, tell me about your first property. So just kind of walk us through that journey. When I was in university, like third year university, I, I was I was doing my internship at uh, OPG as an engineer. So, you know, I just I just opened up an Excel spreadsheet and I was just like looked at my salary. I'm like, hey, when am I going to be able to like make enough money, you know, just to, like chill? Like the, <laughs> the spreadsheet didn't really work that well. I think I was like making like 60 or $50,000 after taxes, like 40. And then like, you know, I, I knew I needed another source of income. So I started programming and I started like selling code to people. So like people who needed websites, like any kind of software, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I learned that <laughs> like, I just tell them, Hey, you know, you need a website. All right. Yeah, sure. What Java, JavaScript, PHP, whatever. Like, you know, just, I just, you know, just bullshit. And like, basically, yeah, but like, you figured it out, right? You, yeah, yeah. As, as things went, you know, I figured it out, but uh, all of it was really active, you know? Like I'd get paid like a thousand bucks for a website and like I, I've had to hustle and like learn how to do it. So it was a lot of work. I, I figured I needed a passive source of income and, you know, I was, I was young. So I'm like, you know what, let me make a startup. And then that could be my passive, uh, you know, source of income. So I, a startup I, as a source of passive income. Yeah. 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 Okay. I wasn't thinking <laughs> I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I think I watched a show, social network and I was just like hyped, you know, uh, the Facebook <laughs> movie is like, whatever, like, yeah. so you know, I started a real estate startup company called, called Homebitter. It was basically like an eBay for homes. Like you can make offers, you know, you could basically post your house online and people can make offers. Right. So this website would make like PDFs and whatnot. So yeah. Obviously, but I but little did you know the market was already hot. You could have thrown it on Kijiji or Facebook, <laughs> and you would have got multiples that time, right? One hundred percent. And like it was just the you know, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. I was shooting shots, you know, without knowing what I was doing. So yeah, it, it didn't work out. But you know, I learned a lot. And then out of that, I got a job, you know, as a software developer, which I like. And you know, uh, yeah. That that's crazy. So you went from engineering to kind of bsing your way through development and then actually getting a passion for development and working a full time in a software development job yep yep, that, yep. that's hustle man i um, love it so that, this is, that's one of the interesting things i think about shwebe it's like he actually really likes his job and like actually has no intentions of leaving it versus i think a lot of like other investors that we talk to it's just like yeah like it, it's a matter of time until i get out like i just want to build up my portfolio xyz cash flow and like i'm out versus shwebe like when i met him it was like no, man, like, I really like my job. And I just couldn't understand that. I was like, like, really? You really like your job? Or are you just saying that because they pay you decent? <laughs> no, it's nice because, like, I feel, I feel like I learn a lot. Like, I don't really see it as, like, a money thing. You know, like, like rich dad, poor dad. You know, the guy says uh, you should work to learn or something like that. So I, 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 okay. I, I think he does. I think he does. Like, yeah. Like, like I just, you know, I just see work is like kind of like school, you know, where I can go and pick up skills. Like I work in marketing for Tangerine as a software mm -hmm. developer. So like, you know, with, uh, we were going to talk about sourcing our own deals, right? Like I can take whatever I learned from these experts and I can apply that to getting my own deals. Right. Mm. Uh, Super cool. Yeah. So it's like very applicable to, to the real estate world. And I just kind of want to ask about that software company, if you don't mind, was there any like key takeaways or skills or, or anything that had helped you in that journey when creating that software? Key learning was whenever you start a company, you, you can be delusional, you know, you can be wishfully thinking, 
when I started that company, like even when things weren't going well, like I wasn't honest with myself. You know, I was just like, you know what, this will work. You know, let me do that. Let me, it was like the feedback loop was wrong. Mm. So I think the key learning whenever you're starting a company, especially a startup is like, you got to be in reality, right? You can't be like making stuff up. For example, when some, when a lot of people run their numbers, like, you know, they, they buy a home for a million dollars, rent is like $3,000 and yeah. a cash flow positive, bro. I was like, what? Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, how? Like, like, okay. Like, you know what? Yeah. So, they might not be including maintenance. They might not be yeah. including vacancy. They might, yeah. They start to fudge their numbers. Right. Yeah. 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 So once, once I got out of that, I was like, you know what, whatever I do, I'm going to be like super negative into my assessment like look at the worst case scenario i think you, i think you said it like be super super conservative and you know yeah and, and sometimes it even works out to be worse than conservative which those are not the best moments but it's good that that you didn't aim high right like you you kind of were like okay with these numbers and if it pans out better awesome if it's somewhere around that ballpark then you're okay with it too exactly yeah. exactly sorry go ahead so, so let's talk about your, your first investment there, Shui, because you started off in Windsor at a time where a lot of people weren't looking at it. It was 2019 October, so it was hot. It was hot. Was it October 2019, Shui? I mean, I wouldn't say it's hot. Yeah. Like, it was hot, but it's not what it is now where, like, everyone knows Windsor. Like, But still, our first property, we bid eight or nine offers and we came out on top. <laughs> True, it was hot. okay. It wasn't like 2018, right? When, when like the market was like you could pick up shit at like dirt cheap, but you still went into that market, which has you know it's had a favorable bull run since then. Like those houses that we bought at like 170, easily easily now like 250, right? So I'm just curious. So what was your thought process getting into Windsor? Why did you like it? And then what really changed that made you stop doing Windsor? I started off Windsor, you know, a bunch of reasons. A the the value of the home was like we're like under two hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, starting off, I didn't want to go for a big home run. I just didn't want to mess up big. Like, I just felt like I need to get the experience. Just get a small little win, right? Like, yeah. just just even if it's a buy and hold, right? I'm happy. It doesn't have to be a burr, right? That was my thought process going into it. And then, you know, in my startup, I had this other guy. His name's Jeff. He actually, like, was, like, retired kind of, like, at, like, 25 or 26. And, like, I'm like, what does this guy do, right? And, like... He had properties in Windsor since like 2016 or something like that, right? Uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, okay, that, that's awesome. But I wasn't paying too much attention. You know, I've, I only paid attention once my startup didn't work. And then I seen Austin too. And I'm like, you know what? Windsor, Windsor seems like it, to be honest. I like to say I did some market research and I predicted all of the appreciation, but <laughs> I, had, I had no idea. I was like, what do people at Windsor do? I have no idea. But it, it was more like, I just felt like, you know, I just... I just, you know, you take a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you follow people that you trusted, right? Like it's kind of when people, you know, the Warren Buffett effect where people see what Warren Buffett does. And then you kind of follow along. You, you, I'm not saying I'm Warren Buffett. I see how you smile. No, that's not what I'm implying. You just called yourself Warren Buffett, buddy. (laughs) Come on. I'm not that arrogant. (laughs) You guys know what I mean by that, but no, no, I totally get it. And how did that first property pan out? Like, was that on the MLS off market? Why don't you give us the details? Was there any negotiation? What work needed to be done and how did the numbers pan out? Okay. So when I, when I entered, like when I started bidding, like around June, I think July, that's when I started like making offers, June, July, October, 2019, there were, there was a lot of offers, you know, things were crazy. Uh, there were like, there's no inspection clause on, on, on properties. Like it was, it was pretty hot. So I think I made like nine offers prior to that. Like this was probably like our 10th like offer that we made. And, you know, we just got lucky. Like it was on the market. 
and you know we no no one else bid that offer because the pictures were really crap the selling realtor was really bad and you know we just we just hopped on it we were ready we had our pre-approval and we just we just got lucky like we bought it for 160 thousand when it's when it really was about 170 175 you know the renovations were like super light like we probably just changed the floor paint and just painted the kitchen cupboards like so 4.5k i remember you guys came uh, that, that day to take on the <laughs> renovation <laughs> you know i actually you know the mistake i made was i tried to paint and do uh, paint it myself which was bad because yeah. we went there for the weekend Trust me, the guy charges the same. The quote we got before and after was still the same. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so it was interesting. You used a handyman for that reno, right? Like a yeah. like a cheaper handyman because you knew the renos weren't extensive. So, so how did that come about? Did you throw Kijiji ad, ask for recommendation? How did you? Why did you uh, go down that route? <clears throat> okay, yeah, sure. So, it's it's a funny story. You know my realtor Scott. Yeah. He he recommended like two guys, like a con- contractor and a handyman. And we just, you know, honestly, we just, we're like, let's call the contractor. And we just made a mistake. We called, ended up calling the handyman. And we, <laughs> I'm just being real. We, we, we're just like, all right, you know, like, what's up, Jerry? Like, and he just gave us like awesome quotes. And we're like, okay, well, like, great. So again, I didn't well, know, like, the point I'm trying to make is I didn't know anything about renovations when I went in. Hmm. I couldn't tell the difference between a, re- you know, a contractor or anything. I was just like, let me just, let me just action. Right. And he said, 4k and I, and I trust scott like scott's one of those guys i really really trust so like i knew he wouldn't like because you know when when we were making offers scott was like hey you know what don't make an offer here don't bid this much like the you know you might lose this but like you know it doesn't make sense it's gonna be a loss so like i, I really valued his opinion so i i just picked uh jerry because like you know i i made a mistake i i wish no I but fact of the matter is you you said you're you're not gonna be delusional and you're not you knew that Renault's was your weakness and you were going to outsource it right so you you kind of you were going like you knew what your strengths and weaknesses were and it's awesome so i wouldn't consider that property luck you were bidding for three months in a row where i hear people bidding for one month and they're done they're quit they get fed up right yeah. you guys kept it consistent for three months and then found that that deal and did you guys appraise it refi it or not yet we actually just refied it about a month ago okay and it came in at i think 240 at 240 wow yeah okay so you bought it at 160 put in 5k worth of work and then it it appraised for 240 so you refined all your money out probably plus some yeah yeah a a lot of it's because of the market right like my renovation did some work (laughs) but i just (laughs) but when when we when we met you at that house shape you guys were like sleeping over with like sleeping bags and like So like what what happened? You did the renovation first. <laughs> so uh, like hand on his head, like really not feeling this question. <laughs> but what happened? You did the renovation yourself, and and then you decided to outsource it instead. No, 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 no. So Austin, a couple of months ago, he said, you know, I was not delusional. He's wrong. I, I I was still a little delusional. Like you know, it's wishful thinking, right? Like you just you just always want to think reality something else. So when I'm, you know what. When, when I bought that property, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to work hard. I'm, I'm you know, I'm just going to hustle. You know, I, I, what I have is hard work, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, me and Jake, my business partner, you know, we drove down there. We're like, we're going to paint the house because you know, we're hardworking people, right? We didn't know how to paint. So uh, what we got there, like, I, I didn't, you know, I don't know what I was, what I was doing. We're, uh, you know, when you paint, you're supposed to like uh, 
patch things. I was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, YouTube videos. Oh, like like the drywall holes. Yeah, yeah. Drywall holes. Like what what is going on? And you know, we we started all of that work. It was it was tough though. Like it's like, man, this is a lot of work. And yeah, you got to. Uh, you probably didn't even bring the equipment, right? Like ladder, did, sanding. Huh? Jake's parents are like, uh, they're they're like uh, quite, they're good at like renovation. So okay. they had all the equipment. So yeah, you know, we, we got started, but we it was really tough. I'm I'm a, you know, software engineer. Like I I don't I don't know anything about it. Like I, I'm not a hard I'm not a physical hard worker. Like I was tired, and like we were we were painting, and you couldn't sleep in the top place, so we had to sleep in the basement where it was like was it was not a finished basement, right? It was cold floors. I slept well because I you know I. I good sleeper i was snoring but jake was not having it it was just it was yeah and then like we realized you know this is this is not for us we're numbers people right we already got the uh property like 10 15k below market value and you know it didn't like for us it would have taken forever to like do the renovation mm -hmm. so, like, no that that totally makes sense okay and then so you you went through that phase that process and then you started exploring a new market between now and that new market were you still bidding in windsor and like what what was that transition like did you get fed up or what was that why sudbury how did you how did you get there okay i clearly remember why because i think in january 2020 or like december we made an offer for a property by uh, st Clair college for about the, uh, you know 305 it was listed for i think like 290 yeah right South Windsor. yeah yeah it it went for like it went for like 310 right so we made it we made an offer for 305 it went for 310 however a month later we could not find that property for that 310 anymore it was like going for like 330 and 340 yeah. like it was crazy and within a month it was consistently that type of property was consistently going for like 340 which is like crazy and the condition was getting worse and worse too <laughs> and it's like it's like you gotta give an offers without an inspection right i, I know I've, I've heard tristy's uh tristan's episode was like yeah yeah inspection's a common thing yeah, in sudbury like you know inspection is a common thing so like I, I was just getting like i felt like things was were moving too fast and so you know i decided to go to another market Cool. So what that. did that look like? So you decided you wanted to go into Sudbury. So what'd you do? Like, how did you start the process of getting into a new market? Because you didn't question. have like an Austin, you didn't have your like previous coworker. You, you didn't really know anyone that was investing in Sudbury, I'm assuming at that time. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't know anyone. I just like, I, I looked up the populations of Ontario cities, right? And I think Sudbury was in, in one of the top ones. To be honest, my, my goal at that time was just to learn, right? Because I only bought like one property and like a lot of it was like just hustle and hard work. It wasn't any strategy, like it wasn't nothing, right? Like it was just luck, hard work, right? Action taking. Mm -hmm. Action taking. So I'm like, how do I learn, right? And, and I needed more like a market where that had, you know, a solid population, right? And, you know, I just searched up the populations of it and I looked at the vacancy rates I looked at the home prices. They all seemed like they were nice. I looked at the um, uh, number of uh, new bills every year and, you know, they weren't anything ridiculous. I don't remember the exact population. And, you know, going into it, I, I'm just like, you know what, these properties cash flow and that's great. And I'm just going to learn, learn in the Sudbury market. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, I think what matters the most is once you have a niche, you start building power teams, start slowly developing market expertise as you buy more and more properties. You start building a moat for yourself and 
it you can start competing in that market better despite the fundamentals of a particular market you can still do well in any real estate market as long as you prove to be an expert and you buy there long enough build enough resources and team members so that's really neat and you had an interesting story right about your you, you bought i think it was a fourplex and a duplex in sudbury both at the same time can we can we dig into that Sure, sure. So I started looking at Sudbury in like roughly February, late January of 2020. We looked at a couple of properties and we passed on them. And, you know, my realtor comes up to me like, hey, man, I got this fourplex and a duplex for you. Like, and, you know, it's the low market value, you know, uh, it's in a shitty area, but, you know, the numbers work great and, you know, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, all right, awesome. Right. Like on paper, like this property was like awesome. Like it was like 2% rule. Like, I'm like, this is great. We make an offer. It gets accepted. Like, and it was, it was like an off market deal almost because the seller took it off the market. And then my realtor just like hooked us up again through luck. And yeah, like, so when, when we go there for the, for, for the inspection, you know, one of the tenant comes out and he like, you know, he starts yelling at us He's for like no reason. And he's just like, you know, you, do you know, there's been a murder here? I was just like, wait, what? And then, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I had to go home and like Google. I was like, oh shit, you know, there's, there was a murder. <laughs> uh, at one of my homes like that's crazy but i'm like it is what it is right like the purpose of the property you were buying is cash flow ultimately yeah right? like la old landlord was like an og he's like you know people die all the time i was like i'm I guess so <laughs> like it was like okay oh like there was there's a murder like i am sorry for that but like I'm and and so that was what the fourplex or duplex that was the the fourplex and the duplex are, are by each other. Same lot? Like, is it the same lot, or are they both like separate purchases? They're separate purchases. Same oh, seller though. Okay. Same seller, and you wanted to get rid of both of them at the same time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so what what were the numbers like? Like, how much did you pick up that fourplex for? How much did you pick up that duplex for? And if you remember what the gross rents of each one were, that would be sure. awesome to hear as well. Sure, I'll I'll tell you the duplex. The duplex was a decent deal. We picked it up for 115. 115k. Yeah, it's in the Donovan, so it's like the worst area. Yeah, fair, uh, but <laughs> and in a bad in a bad area in Donovan. Just keep that in mind. But but you know, I got a duplex for 115. So and what was it rented out for? At the time, it was rented out for the downstairs unit was rented out for eight eight forty all inclusive. Wow. And the upstairs was rented out for 900 all inclusive, but we got the, and oh, actually a quick fun fact, the upstairs guy was a drug dealer. Nice. Nice. So, right? so, fact, getting rent. He had, he had good money. No, he in. was a bad drug dealer. So oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we were, but you know, we, we he got out, we, we got vacant possession of that. And now we're probably going to rent it out for about a thousand and not including hydro. So, you know, plus hydro. So I'm curious, because both your duplex and fourplex were in kind of the rougher areas in Sudbury, did you deal with like issues with the tenants, like non-payment of rent or just like overall, like just trashing the place, any kind of any of those issues? Like the the drug dealer's apartment was pretty trashed. There were some rodent pests in there, bed bugs and whatnot. So we had to get that pest control, like they bombed it like for 400 bucks or whatever. And yeah, it was it was in pretty bad shape. But so every, everyone like in your fourplex and duplex, like everyone continued to pay rent the entire year. Like you didn't have any issues on that side. Yeah. Yeah. They, they pay rent a little late, like sometimes a week late, but you know, they're, they, they, they pay rent, you know, they're, they're good. Like, yeah. Yeah. Are you guys self-managing this or is it property management? No, no, no. We have property management. We need property management. 
Yeah, and then, then you probably management's probably like a little bit more hands-on and like yeah no uh, to be honest like it is a bad area but like those people are like they're still people you know like they're they're nice people and they pay rent on like on time and you know they just treat them with respect and like you know they they reflect that back right like they're just in a bad place and in their in their life and you know they just it, things are a little rough but you know they're really really you know they they pay rent on time absolutely yeah nah, that that makes total sense and let's dig down into that fourplex a little bit more sure what was the acquisition price on that and what is that renting out for? The acquisition price was 175k. Again, you know, this was this is really really cheap even for the Donovan. Like a comp is for that is like 250 to Wait, 175 for the fourplex? Yes, sir. That's that's very cheap. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You know, it's it, we were able to like, you know, make have a good relationship with the seller and this was before Sudbury was on fire. So no one was really looking at this property. Everyone was really afraid of it. So like, you know, at the time we made the offer, like it wasn't a crazy deal. It was like a whatever deal. So yeah, we bought it for 175. The rents are roughly 900 per, per all, for all the units. Mm, uh, and these wow. are all inclusive. Wow. That's, yeah, that's very good. <laughs> Actually, the, the potential rent uh, is about like a thousand or a thousand one hundred for all the four units. Look, you bought the duplex at 110. I mean, I get that it's in, I get that it's in the roughest area, 115, whatever, but I guess that it's in, I get that it's in the roughest area of Donovan maybe, but the fourplex at 175, sure it's in a rougher area, but I'd bet you could probably double your money if you exit these properties or somewhere close to double your money. I could be wrong. Austin knows the Sudbury market more than me. Like I don't really look at Sudbury. I just like hear about it from different people. So at what point do you decide on an exit? Cause that is a crazy like ROI, right? And and now your your cash flow and, and your return on equity is probably lower than if you bought something fully levered now, right? So at what point do you like exit these properties and like they're in rough areas? Like why do you decide to keep them? Like just curious what your logic is. And honestly, the the cash flow is so nice. Like I don't I don't wanna I don't wanna ever exit. Like it's like I don't I don't even know. Like we have one unit vacant and we're still cash flowing like like more than a thousand dollars like easy and this is after property management which is like nine percent right like we pay about nine percent of like five five thousand dollars which is like almost like four hundred five hundred dollars right like and like we pay premium like premium premium like fifty dollars an hour type of like handyman right after all of that it's still cash flow so i to me like it's a rough neighborhood but i'm just gonna keep it as long as i can and you could refi if you want, right? Yeah. Like really, right now, you could pull out all, all of your money plus more. 100%. Yeah. And, and acquire a new property. That's awesome. And and that story behind the fourplex, I know this, that the closing wasn't that easy. Oh, yeah. can, we, can we talk about that a, a bit more? Cheers, yeah. Girl. Yeah. Uh, so this this is the problem when you have like off market deals. Like, you know, it's it's fun to talk about it. And then like, I can source my own deals. But when you actually have to deal with them, it's especially if you're new, it's, it's quite stressful because if there's no realtor on the other side, like the professionalism is gone, right? Like you need to be like hands-on. And so what happened, we have the duplex and, and the fourplex that we're buying and the seller wants to buy both of the, wants us to sell them, sell both of them off. So he says, um, you know, like on, on closing, we get the money for the duplex, but we're not get, able to get the money for the fourplex because the owner didn't let the appraiser in for some reason. You know, we, we have the money sitting there in my lawyer's trust account and we're ready. You know, I'm, I just tell my lawyer, like, you know, change, put the title of the duplex on my name. And for the fourplex, just like, 
you know just we'll just we'll just get another amendment and you know it'll be it'll be all good my lawyer calls on what like the date of closing or something or yeah date of closing right just give us okay. another couple of weeks and we'll figure it out my <laughs> lawyer's like all right sick but he calls me in the, the day he's like hey shrimp we got a problem I go, okay what's what's the problem it's like he's like yeah you know what this uh <laughs> the seller's not accepting the, your money for the duplex i was like wait what he's like yeah he's, he just doesn't want to take it i was like wait why not because like you don't have the money for the fourplex so like we you know we were basically we were sitting on about like a hundred thousand for like a week we had to go like you know we had to rush things from cibc and you know once we got the money for the fourplex he was able to we were able to close on both and like it was an awkward position because we took money from cibc and it was what the money was there for like about about a week in, in our lawyer's trust account yeah it was it was it was, it was, it was, it was crazy <laughs> Yeah, but we were able to close on both of it. How long was the closing from purchase until closing? It was like it was five really months, long. six month process, right? Yeah, because we we again we bought it like we probably signed the agreement in like March, beginning of March, just about when like COVID happened. There were some renovations that the seller needed to do, like a retrofit. Mm-hmm. But he was just not motivated to do it. He just wanted to get rid, so he just kept on delaying. And, you know, with COVID, like there was like less people to like, it was harder to get hold of contractors. So we ended up closing that in, I think like October. Okay. Awesome. And Trip, so I want to, so, so, so you found success in Sudbury, you bought, you bought six units. I want to dive into your most recent acquisition that you made and kind of sourcing deals as well. Cause I know that's something that you've been doing now in, in Sudbury. Let's. Maybe we start off with the acquisition and then we can dive into how you're sourcing deals now. Or maybe they go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. So the the latest one I'm going to close on in a week or so is the one on Minnow Lake. It's a better area. There's, you know, a a lot more potential there. So it's a duplex. We got it for, again, one, I mean, 267. Mm -hmm. And it's probably worth around like 295, 300. We were able to get this deal because the selling realtor made a mistake. He just didn't list it on the realtor.ca market. And we, we got lucky. He just listed on the realtor database. And I guess it's, it's like an internal portal, I assume. I don't know. I, I, I don't know either. All I knew was my realtor just sent me the deal. I was like, you know what? This looks like a good deal. And we were, he was, so we were the only ones basically making an offer and we were able to like get vacant possession and whatnot. So. That's amazing. So you bought that 25 K under market value under market value and you're working with the realtor too. Yeah. 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 That's phenomenal. That's something you can't source without the realtor, right? Because that it it, it is, it is on the MLS, but it's not listed publicly for everyone to see. (laughs) Yeah. It's upsetting because the other realtor was just doing a bad job. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, you're selling someone's house, you know, you should, you should, you know, it happens. It happens. <laughs> hey man, I I got the deal, so whatever. Yeah, exactly. And what are you doing right now to source additional deals? You know what? I actually read a couple of like your Instagram posts, like from like a long time ago. You talk about calling people on on Kijiji. Yeah. And like just like you know, basically everyone I meet in Sudbury call them. I'm just like, hey man, you you looking for a deal? So like I I do that. I just you know. I even I even put up a Kijiji ad for that and one on Craigslist. I'm planning on doing a little something more serious with mailers, but right now I'm getting a few leads. I get like a lead or two leads per week. 
using yeah. these like hustle kind of like talking to everyone hey do you know anyone sometimes it's hard though because yesterday i was talking to this guy and he wanted to sell a duplex uh he wanted to sell me his duplex uh, with the in-law suite for about 200 225 that's good that's yeah, good duplex with the third unit yeah with the third unit with the, but like yeah. honestly it's hard i feel like this wholesale business is hard for me man like because i convinced him to go to the market like i'm like <laughs> yo like like why are you selling this buddy and he's like you know what i'm just trying to get some money i was just like do you have enough time? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, do you have a little bit of money to do some renovations? He's like, yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, yo, just, just go to the market. Like, you know, you can get so much more. I was just like, after the call, I, I just called Jake, my, my business partner. I was just like, yo, I just convinced this guy to go to the market. Like, what am I, why? You should have uh, yeah. signed a JV with him. No, but that, that's how you're supposed to go with wholesaling. So I, I would say wholesalers are problem solvers. When someone doesn't have a problem, they have time on their hands. They can do the renovation, so on and so forth. They might just be unaware of what's going on. And uh, I mean, it's just out of understanding respect. You would let them know, hey, you can make more money on the market. Generally, when, when we get our best deals, when wholesaling is when someone is motivated and they can't go to the market or they have some reasons that is preventing them from going on the market. So you definitely did the right thing there. No shame in that. Cause they'll be like doing what you're doing. You're going to eventually find the right motivated seller. That's awesome. Shared. So I think, I think you just have like a very like relatable story for a lot of people that are like starting out in their real estate investing journey. And like, you basically had a, a story there about how you got up to 11 units now. And what is that like a year and like a couple of months or something like that now, right? A year and a half. Something like that. So Shoaib, like you, you obviously like your, your job and like your career right now, like what, what are the real skills that like you're using then on the real estate investing side right now? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Mayo. Basically, like, I feel like, you know, a lot of us just kind of, you know, we see our, our day-to-day jobs as like something negative, like where, like, you know, we just need to escape. Fair enough. Fair enough. Congratulations on retiring, Austin. But, but like, I feel like, you know, you can really learn, like you can really learn good skills. Like where I work, you know, I, I have like my boss, she's like really, really someone who's like composed, like really professional. And, you know, no matter how, like the situation, how bad the situation gets, like her head is all, she's always calm, right? Like she's like a general who's always calm. And like, I feel like in real estate, like when I had that, you know, when I had basically CIBC's money sitting in my bank account while we were closing on the other, you know, while we're waiting for the money up for the fourplex, I I had to be calm, you know, like, and just, I feel like, you know, my nine to five job has a lot of opportunities for me to learn. And, you know, I, I see it as school and I take whatever I learned there and I apply it. Right. And I think one good example is like your business part, wholesaling partner, Whelan, right? Like, I feel like, you know, I, I don't personally know him, but like whenever I've seen him speak and the way, way, you know, way he conducts your wholesale business, like he's like, you know, he's a superstar. Right. And like I, he doesn't really have that much experience with real estate. He's relatively new, but he's killing it because like, you know. Yeah, he's yeah. taking all and, the skills he's learned in, in, in sales as a sales yeah. director, and he's literally applying that in, in wholesaling. Right. Which yeah. not many wholesalers have that corporate experience that he has. Yeah. Awesome, man. So, so I think, you know, usually near, nearing the end of the podcast, we, we ask our guests like these three questions, but like, what are your goals for like the next five years? Like, where do you see yourself five, yourself five years from now? Yes, that's a tough question. Uh, obviously I want more rental units and more cash flow, but, uh, but oh, like, 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 like after a certain point, it becomes like, 
if you I get like, let's just call it like 10 grand in cash flow and then you're also working your day job like is there a number that you're working towards or like is it just like you know what i'll just keep buying forever <laughs> it was it was it was the, the number you know when you set off your goals like you just say i just want 10 grand a month so that that was kind of like my goal i i like like you know the goal for this this year is probably get more units and then five years from now i i'm not sure to be honest guys just be happy you know like just just live life you know yeah that's like my goal so i guess your goal is to transition so you're not working as hard as you are now then yeah <laughs> it's stressful that's yeah real. yeah just like you know have you know just wake up chill uh, you know work out buy a property every now and then just live a relaxing <laughs> life that seems like such an ideal lifestyle. The, the a, second question is, is if you want $10 million and you had seven days to spend it, you can spend some of it on real estate, not all of it. And you got to add some other elements to it. What would you do? How would you spend it? Like, these have to be productive things or like whatever? No, it could be anything. You could, you could <laughs> go on vacation, buy a mansion, whatever you want. What, what will make you happy with that money? So obviously buy real estate, buy Enbridge stocks. They have high dividend yields, you know, invest in some other businesses, you know, maybe buy, buy a personal house, all cash. And yeah, nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing, 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 you know, nothing fancy. And what's, what's crazy is a lot of investors actually talk about when we say no real estate, they find other asset classes to invest (laughs) in. They're like, all right, we'll diversify that. Like super boring people. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, awesome, Shreve. So if you could have dinner with any person dead or alive, who would you choose and why? This is super easy. Kobe Bryant. Mm. And why? I mean, you know, he's he's the black mamba. Like, you know, he's, 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 I feel like, you know, even though he was a basketball player, he, you know, he kept it real, right? Like he inspired so many people just by playing basketball, right? Like he was, all he was doing was dribbling a ball and, you know, shooting in a hoop and he, and he inspired people. Like, you know, he had so many challenges, you know, and he, and he overcame them. I don't know. I just, I just, I just love the guy. Yeah. And he made a pretty successful transition into investing. Andre, right? Like he had, he started a book, a, a novel, a novel company. Yeah. I think I saw him invest. on Bloomberg or like, or some big, some big finance channel with him and his business partner. They're investing in like small businesses and all of these things. Right. He yeah. Didn't blow all his money either. Exactly. Yeah. Smart guy for sure. Okay. Awesome. Shweb. Yeah, no, thank you for jumping on the podcast. It was a pleasure to have you on. We've known you for a while. Your story is very inspirational because it's all about really, if, if there's a moral to this story, it's all about action taking. Like you didn't have everything figured out. You kind of just took action and you found success in the things that you took action on. Right. And a lot of the things that you call luck, I would say that's consistency and persistence. So I think your story is very relatable to a lot of people. You didn't have things figured out, Pat, but like you were able to still find success in real estate investing. If people want to reach out to you, connect with you, chat with you, what platforms, what channels can they do so? My my Instagram, I, I check quite often and like my Facebook as well. That's good. Okay. And we're going to have that in the description below. So you guys can reach out to Shoaib that way. If you guys enjoyed this podcast episode, make sure to like, subscribe, share it with a friend, so on and so forth. It brings great guests like Schwebon, and it keeps us motivated. It keeps my, me and Mayu going on this journey of, of learning as much as possible and spreading knowledge. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, invest smarter and live better. Take care, all.